to the intro. Good evening, Aston Villa fans. Welcome to the Villa Forever podcast. I am your host, Chad Williams. Before we get started, if you're new to this channel, please hit subscribe. This evening, I'm joined by my special guest, former Aston Villa striker, Gary Thompson. His nickname is well known as Tommer. He's played for other clubs, including Coventry City, West Bromwich Albion, Crystal Palace, Watford, Sheffield Wednesday, and QPR. Also, his voice is very well known on BBC WM covering the Aston Villa games. All right, Gary, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Chad. Yourself? Yes, I'm really good, thank you. It's an absolute honour to have you on this show. You're an Aston Villa legend. That's, uh, that's, that's nice. I mean, because like, I'm a Villa fan, as a, as a uh, as a kid, we'd look at certain players and they'd be legends. And for me, a legend is someone like like Brian Little, for example, or Andy Gray. This yeah. had Aston Villa the first time round, or someone that won something like Charlie Aitken. I didn't say Charlie won something, but someone like Charlie Aitken's played a million games. So the, for me, there's very few legends at any club, really. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I, I, you can call me every now and again. I don't mind that. I bet you're proud of what you achieved, though. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like. I'm a kid. I'm a kid. My dad's a Mad Villa fan, and back when my mum and dad came from the West Indies, um, my dad would go to Blues one week and Villa the next week. Obviously, by the, by the time the motorways are built and that, then it, it all becomes tribal. And so my dad has yeah. to make a choice, and he decides for Villa. And so as a kid, we grew up. He was a Villa fan. My older brother Ian was a massive Villa fan, and so it, it just seemed natural for me. Uh, I was a I was being a pain in the ass one day, and uh, my uncle Charlie turned up, and he went, uh, "Right, you're coming with me." And we got two buses. We ended up down at Villa Park. I actually sat in the Trinity and uh, I saw my first game. Villa were in the old third division. And uh, I was I was so low at the Trinity because he was uh, eye, eye level with the pitch and that. And I looked at that and I thought like, yes, this is me all day. I've got to have some of this. And I spent the next few years trying to get near to that. But uh, yeah, that's my first uh, feeling of being around Villa Park and deciding, yeah, I do like it. It was actually, the deal was set, sold when uh, Santos came and um, Pele and that, and they played, my old man took me and my brother down. Oh, Pele, that would be amazing seeing Pele. Oh, well, we've seen him in the World Cup in uh, 1970, and obviously two years later, or three years later, Doug's managed to get him down to Villa Park. So we didn't even think our dad, we knew it was coming, but the dad, our dad just turned up from work, and uh, we finished school and that, and he just said, get your gear, and we were off. Didn't say where we are going, ended up at Villa Park, ended up getting in, in with the crowd, getting into the ground and that, and watching the game, and it all went by in a blur. I mean, apparently, the, from what people tell me, the floodlights failed and all that. But uh, I think that's yeah. just Doug's way of keeping the score level light. But uh, yeah, that's when, from then on, like, I'm 13 or 14, I'm going to be a Villa fan. I was always leaning that way, but that, that sealed the deal. Because you grew up into a, a Villa family there? Yeah, yeah, my family, because uh, of my dad, a big Villa fan. My brother was a big Villa fan. My other brother that came across from the West Indies, um, 
he ended up leaning towards Villa as well. Um, his sister, who was a barrister, was was a, an athlete. She wasn't really interested in football, but if she had to choose someone, she'd have chose Villa. So we were leaning that way. But I was uh, I was born in um, Kings Heath, and like, but we moved to the Maypole now. Kings Heath, the Maypole, it's all blues. And when I went yeah, to school, from Birmingham as well. Yeah. So like everyone, everyone down there, they're all blue, they're blue in their noses, aren't they? So it was very strange for me to be a Villa fan. But for me, I didn't know any different. My old man was a Villa fan, and I loved, I loved the Claret and Blue, and wanted to, I wanted to play for Villa, or if not, support the Villa. And Gary, before I get more into the interview, yeah, I just want to do an introduction about the condition. Yeah, yeah, sure. And Dad, can you scroll up my notes for me? Just go up a little bit, thank you. Do share my condition, is a progressive fighter, muscle wasting disease, muscles deteriorate, leading to paralysis, heart and lung failure, and early death. Duchenne is 100% vital. There is currently no cure. Very few people live beyond the age of 30. Duchenne affects mostly boys, but in some cases, it can happen to girls, but it's very rare. It's very important that we need to create awareness of D&D today. 24 years on, there is still no cure for this cruel disease. Please, let's all help spread awareness. So, Gary, can you spread some awareness for me? Yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, when I read the, um, the email, I glanced at the email and that, and I, I read about it and what, what you've just said now. I mean, I, I you don't realise sometimes that things are right under your nose. But, yeah, I mean, if you need me to help uh, pass the word or whatever, like, I mean, that's about all you've got to do is ask. I mean, it's, it's yes. not a problem. Thank you. So much into football from an early age. Yeah, yeah, obviously, a sporting family, as it were. Um, and my brother and my sister came over from the West Indies when I was about, I think, six or seven. And they were, my sister was 12, my other brother was 11. They came over from the West Indies. Before that was my mum, my dad, and my, th- my two other brothers. So there's five of us in a family. The family becomes seven. And from then, um, Glyn, who came over from the West Indies, he, he was playing football. He played football with my brother Ian. And obviously, I was the second youngest. I wanted to get involved. They weren't having it. And so, uh, as I said before, like, what what does any self-respecting six or seven-year-old do? Because he cries to his mum. Yeah. So, therefore, my mum ended up getting me in the game. I played the game, but I'm always playing against people older than myself. So, naturally, you you learn quickly and you become better. And so, uh, that's how it all started. But then I was just fascinated by the, by the ball. I was fascinated by people playing. I loved Match of the Day, which was the only sport game that was on in the FA Cup final. They very rarely showed anything else. And we'd be all around the TV. Um, we just we love football. Went to school. We played football before school. When they called you into school, you did your lessons. Went out of playtime. Played football then. You broke up for lunch. You played football then. We just played football all the time. By the time I've gone to secondary school, that's where I met Paul Dyson, who is instrumental in me actually getting a career. That's uh, that's when it all went, it went from there. But we just played football, football, football. In the summer, we played cricket. But it would always lead back towards football or tennis. We were very sporting, but. Uh, Wanted to play football, loved sports, loved any... We did athletics and all that, but uh, the first love for all of us in the family was always going to be football. I think it's like it's not a dedication as well. 
Yeah, but if you love something, it doesn't it, it doesn't seem yeah. as if it's a, a massive hardship because yeah. I, we, where we lived um, in the terrace house, we had what they call um, we call a gully or an entry. And in the entry, it separates the two houses. I'd go in there and I'd be banging a ball against the wall all the time, banging it, banging it. And Mrs. O'Shea, the lovely Irish lady who lives next door, used to come round and she'd, she'd see me and she's all right. She'd go and speak to me, mum and dad said, for the love of God, can you just stop that kid kicking the ball? That's all he seems to do. And I was smashing the ball. If, I couldn't play with my brothers in the garden. I was smashing the ball in entry. So it, it, say dedication, but it's something I just wanted to do. It just felt natural to me. I got five spare five minutes. I was just going to boot the ball. Well, yes, he's very passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I loved it. You really I loved really it. Enjoy it more if you're passionate about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, then it, it's like uh, people say: if you, if you do something you love, it's not like a job. It doesn't um, doesn't seem to drag. Time doesn't drag. Time flies by. I found something that I loved at a very early age. I wanted to be a footballer. I was lucky to be a footballer. I got a twenty-year career out of it, and it never seemed like I was actually working for a living. If you know what I mean, I was paid yeah. to keep myself fit. Scored a couple of goals, but I got to play for the club I supported. Made a load of friends along the way. So not, none of it seemed like, um, like for me, if, if someone said to me, oh, you got to go and play tennis. Well, I, I, I played tennis, but to go and play tennis every day and practice my backhand and practice this and that, it drove me mad. But for football, it was a natural thing. I, like, see the ball outside in my garden now. Every, I mean, I could barely walk nowadays, but to get off a chance, I'll, I'll boot it. And that, yeah, that's just the way, way things work. It's like, uh, it's something I love. And it's something you love. It's never, it's never a hardship. When you start believed you could be a professional footballer, I always thought um, from the time when, by the time Pele, we watched Pele and Santos play, I'm going to be a footballer. That's me belief. I've got no way of knowing I'm going to get there, but I want to be a footballer. And then, like I say, I went to secondary school. I had my first awakening. I played against a guy called Paul Dyson. We, I played against Paul when we were at junior school. This is the final year of junior school. I'm the best player in my, my, my year. Paul's the best player. And they're saying, who's your best player? Oh, him. And we look at Paul Dyson, and he's, he's we, we were 11 at the time. He's got to be nearly 5'9", 5'10", but he's also got sideburns, and he's got a moustache, long blonde hair. And we're like, he's a ringer. You can't play him. He's, ne he's never, like, 11 years of age. He, he can't play. He's played the game, and Paul has dominated the game. And, like, that was my first real setback. And it was a few weeks later, I joined secondary school and I saw, I bumped into him. You're that geezer, you're that kid. Because I, I, I did, did negative to mention, I did end up trying to fight him because he was that good and he, he kind of beat me up. So uh, I had my first real shock, as it were. Like, But then I bumped into the same kid and we ended up getting in the same school team and we played together. Paul ended up playing for England schoolboys. And because of the England schoolboys, loads of scouts used to come and watch. Now there's myself, Paul, and a lad called Malcolm Percival. They watched Paul play, and all these clubs wanted him. Coventry uh, sort of took him in the end, mm -hmm. and like uh, all these scouts came and watched, but they, they never noticed us. And in the end, um, I think it was uh, Bob Delt Dennison. He said to Paul, "Have you got any good mates?" And he went, "Oh yeah, Tomo and Percy." And so they invited us down for a couple of days. It went really well. Next thing, um, I'm now 15. Next thing, I'm um, I did the six weeks holiday when you train for six weeks. You know, the school holidays. That's their pre-season. So we do all that. I end up playing for the reserves just before the season starts. Well, I end up scoring a goal, then playing for the reserves. And before you know it, I'm off. But that's the first time at 15 years of age, making me debut against Aston Villa in the reserves. I think, I tell you what, I've got half a chance here. I, 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 might, I might actually make it. Because Why I did it play against Aston Villa? 
Yeah, my um, reserve debut was against Aston Villa. My first team debut for Coventry was against Aston Villa as well. So Villa have always sort of circulated. They've always been in and around it, if you know what I mean. Before you played for Coventry City, yeah, was you scouted or did you come through the youth academy? Uh, I was scouted in as much as um, Paul Dyson recommended us. We went down. We, we had the trials. The trials went really well. And then we ended up... Uh, I played in reserves at 15. You leave school at 16. At 15 and a half, whatever, they've offered me uh, a, an apprentice contract. It's a two-year deal for 16, 16 pounds, going up to 20 pounds in the second year. <clears throat> so I just well, sat there and I've, I've signed. Me and Paul, we, we signed the contracts. And that was, we were apprentices. So we'd have to do all the horrible jobs and all that. But we got to play football each and every day. And then... If you do it good enough, you got in uh, the reserve side. So that's how it all started. Paul Dyson mentioned me, got me a trial. But he mentioned me. I got the trial. The trial seemed to go okay. Um, the regular set before for the reserves got injured, and it just so happened I, I'd scored a goal in the reserves versus first team friendly the, the few days before. Jimmy Hill was on the mic, and like uh, there's a few fans. There's quite a few fans at Highfield Road, and like uh, 15, I ended up making my debut in the reserves, and from there. I'm going to start, they're going to give me an apprentice contract. <coughs> Pardon me. I get the apprentice contract and from then I'm in the system. So like, uh, it, it was, I was very fortunate how it worked out and I was very lucky in as much as I got myself playing reserve football at a very, very young age. I bet football's choice not since you playing football. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean like, when I played football, it was it was incredibly physical. And like, uh, like imagine a 15 year old and you're coming up against the likes of Tommy Smith and people like that. And then I played in the first team. When I went at my first team, I had Larry Lloyd, who was uh, ended up being a stalwart. Played for Liverpool, but Nottingham Forest. Big Jim Holton, who Jim was a monster. Six foot two, eyes of blue, they called him. And it, but he was quick, powerful. Tom Richardson, Barry Powell. We had some great, great players. Terry Orrith and that. We had some great players. But the game wasn't, uh, it was more a drinking culture, as it were. But they did do an awful lot of running. But now, over the years, towards the end of my career, they started... Um, it got more scientific-based because of the way Arsene Wenger worked with his players. Mm -hmm. And anyone that's doing well, if they're successful, everyone's off. We'll have a go at that. And because Wenger made players stretch, he made them work out for a certain amount of time. He, 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 I think he banned ketchup and stuff like that from the canteen. And he, he watched their diets and he got extra yards out of them. But they're a good team, so they're going to do well anyway. But everyone that's follows that. That's what actually is when it's changed. What's that? With the, with the money as well. Money's over oh, the yeah. years, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, we played, um, and the average was £500 a week. But oh, wow. uh, Kevin Keegan, he was the top paid player at the time. He was on three grand a week. So that that was sort of, uh, I'd say I'm about 22, 23. That's the kind of money flying around. By the time my career ends, uh, the Premier League has started. I, I played, the, my, my season at QPR was the first season of the Premier League. So that's 93. That season, Robbie Fowler signs the first million pound contract for Liverpool, which is 20 grand a week. Alan Shearer, a couple of years later, signs one for about 50 grand. And from there, it just explodes. And like, uh, I, I don't, I don't begrudge the players the money. I mean, I think if, if someone wants to pay you that, they think you're worth that, then fair play. It's just that when we played, there was never that kind of money around. And even if there was, the clubs were never going to get it together. Things were different, man. Yeah, yeah. So like, we, we understood the situation. You get a few quid in your contract or whatever, but at the end of the day, until Sky came in with the, the packaging, the way they did it, 
there was never that kind of money flying around. When that money came around, quite rightly, the players deserved to get it. They now, these, these kids are now, I would say, um, finely tuned athletes. They don't drink an awful lot. They don't abuse their bodies. They live well, they stretch well, they eat properly. And obviously it, it lengthens their careers. Like we did certain things. When I first made my debut, I had uh, I got smashed in the face by um, uh, Kevin Keelan. And I did my knee ligaments at the same. I got the centre half of Kevin Keelan just give me the sandwich. And like I got up, my knee had gone. And like uh, the, the physio came on, squirted a bit of magic sp spray on it, and I carried on playing. Next day, my knee's like a balloon. So all they did, they waited till the Thursday, injected me, did nothing on the Friday, played on the Saturday. I did that for six weeks. Now, my brother, he's in the, who's in the army, he said to me yeah. a couple of years later, you should only ever have three cortisone injections a year. I had six in six weeks. And that's the the, 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 the breadth of knowledge they had, the scientific-wise, sports-wise, then to now. Nowadays, people would never do that sort of thing. Players now, there's a big enough squad. They rotate the squad so players don't get the kind of injuries that my, my era had. But then again, if someone said to me, Tom, you're 60, but you might have a bit of a limp, but you'll yeah. play football for the club you support, you'll nick a couple of goals, you'll have a great time, you'll make friends for life, I'm still probably going to go for it. How did your family feel about you becoming a footballer? Yeah, they were delighted. I mean, my mum was worried because obviously at, when I started playing, the racial thing was uh, it was quite high. But uh, my mum was always worried about that. But my mum can look after yeah. herself and she she believed I could. Like, my dad was the nicest man in the world. Um, they were they were obviously worried about me about it, but they never really told me. They never put their worries onto me. As far as they were concerned, I was chasing my dream. This was a chance to do something I wanted to do. I, I, I mean, there was a story once. Well, that's a story. That I was at Coventry one day. I'm an apprentice, and I've been getting so much stick from the, um, the coaches, the physio, everybody. And in the end, I'm like, ah, that's it. I ain't doing it anymore. I played this this game. I think it was Wolves. Yeah. And uh, I, I got got in a minibus with the lads. And I went, listen, I'm going home. I've, I've had enough of this. I can't be talked talk to loads of this all the time. So I've got back, got my gear. Pushed off. <laughs> so get, I rang my mum and dad at the uh, Coventry station. They're going to pick me up at the new, new street. Get to New Street. My mum and dad took me and we ended up having, um, you're too young to remember, but uh, there was this, uh, there was a, um, it was like a McDonald's place, but it was called oh, Wimpy. Yeah. And we, we had a Wimpy. We sat there, had the burger and had an ice cream float. And they listened to me moan about the physio, the, the coaches, the thing, the way things were going. They let me moan for about the best part of half an hour. And then my mum said, right, you're done. Yep. Get back on the train. I'm sure you are. I've left. She said, you can't leave. She's if they say you're not good enough, then fair enough. Yeah. You don't give up on something that you've wanted to do for the last 10 years of your life. You do not walk away from it. And I got back on the train. Then I'm thinking, how am I gonna work this with the lads? So I got back in, burst through the door, went, lads, I've come back. And they all just went, Your mom sent you back, didn't she? So yeah. Uh there was the one time I was actually looking to quit football, but uh, generally it, it they were behind me all the way. They wanted me to play football. Me, Very supportive. Brother, yeah, yeah. My younger brother Keith, he played for Coventry as well. So it sort of ran in the family. They wanted the best for us, and this football was a chance for us to do something with our lives and make something of our lives. Like, I mean, as I say, my sister became a barrister. My brother is a whiz kid in computer technology. The rest of us, we were sporty, and we played. I mean, they played sports as well, but uh, we played. We want. I wanted to play football. I got a chance to do what I wanted to do. I, I did. I achieved my dream. I wanted to play football. I wanted to play for Aston Villa. I achieved my dream. I'm, I'm made up with that. What are your memories from your debut in your professional career? My de debut uh, was against Aston Villa. Um, 
Mick Ferguson, the regular centre forward, got injured. And like um, we played, I think it was Tottenham Hotspur on the Saturday. And then I, I presumed I'd be scoring goals in the reserves. There was myself and a lad called Frank McGrellis. Um, they didn't pick either of us. And we, I couldn't understand it. Because back in them days, the team sheet used to go up for the two teams, first team reserves. We weren't on either. And we were like, what's going on? So we went and tried and see the manager. The manager wouldn't see us. So like we're fuming. I've, been, I've gone home for the weekend, but I'm fuming because I can't believe one of us hasn't had a chance. They go to Spurs, they get beat. They play the centre-half, Keith Osgood, centre-forward. So I am raging. By the time Monday comes round, um, Tommy Hutchison and all them are winding me up and, that, and they used to call me Bomber in them days. Like, they said, Bomber, how can you not get, get the team? How come you're not in the squad? And I was like, yeah, Gaffer don't know what he's on about. And this has gone on. In the end, we're having lunch and that, I went to go and sit with my teammates and that and they said, oh, come and sit with us. And they kept pestering me. I ended up sitting down and they kept, I know what they were trying to do. They try and wind me up to say something about the manager, which obviously I fell for. And by the time I go, yeah, he ain't got a clue what he's doing. Gordon Milne comes through the door and they're going, don't tell us, he's there, tell him. And I'd actually poo my pants. Gordon Milne goes, my office now, went into the office and he says, you got a problem? There was a lot of stuttering and blubbering from me and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. One of them. But in the end, I just went, uh, well, I just thought you played, you know, how can you play centre-half, centre-forward? It doesn't make sense to me. And he said, because we wanted you to have your debut at home, so you'll be playing against Aston Villa tomorrow, you're making your debut, but you better be good. Now get out of my office. And that's when I realised I'm going to make my debut. And from there, it just it just went on. I got the chance to make my debut. And uh, I can say my mum and dad came down. But it, it was it was it happened so quickly. I got my chance. And before you know it, I'm starting to play games in the team. I then break my leg in three places, which looks like it's going to shatter Ooh, my career. Yeah, I came back after, I think I was out for 11, 11 months. But I came back and uh, luckily, luckily got back. We ended up getting to the League Cup semi-final. I finally get me under twenty one cap. We win the year under twenty one championships, and um, from there, I end up going to West Brom about a year later. But uh, only because Coventry had lost a lot of money in uh, America, and they were skin. I didn't know they were skin. Jimmy all rang me one night and said, uh, "You're off to West Brom tomorrow," and I was like, "No, nah, you're right. I'm happy here." And he went, uh, "No, no, you're going to West Brom because in six weeks' time we're going bankrupt." And my wife, who is the, the brains of the operation, just said, uh, "Listen." <laughs> think about this like you better have the conversation so I went to have a conversation Ron Wiley who was my coach at Coventry ended up got, uh, ended up uh, manager West Brom wanted to sign me and uh, he just bullied me into signing the contract I had no intention of signing for the Albion but he, he sort of bullied me and to be fair I've got to be honest the Albion treated me like a prince for the moment I went there scored a few goals for him loved my time there so it all worked out nice if you know what I mean but when I woke up that morning, there was no intention of leaving Coventry City, but I did have a good time there. And with most of my clubs, but I suppose because I enjoyed what I wanted to do, there's no clubs at all where I turn around and think, oh, I hated that. Or I didn't, didn't enjoy that at all. My career, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Did you remember your first goal you scored? First goal I scored was against Wolverhampton Wanderers at Highfield Road. Bob Hazel was marking me, him and George Berry. And... Uh, it was a it was a strike as opposed to people because I, I was good in the air, people always presumed I just could head it in that. But the uh, ball was played, Barry Powell played the ball down the channel for me. I, I outpaced uh, Bob Hazel. Bob Hazel was massive. If you see pictures of him, you Google him, Bob Hazel, he's like the side of the house. Oh, wow. And he was quick. And I managed to hold him off, but I knew he was gonna he was gonna club me and I managed to get me striking. Ball's gone in the net, Bob Hazel then has whacked me, I went up on the floor, but it's a goal. And that's my first ever one, and I was I was off and running. And then well, you think you're on top of the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
to score a goal, you can't describe how good it feels because it's that moment where it, for a few seconds, you just completely lose it. You're one with the crowd, even the ones that hate you. Say you score away from home, but your fans are there. You're at one with the crowd because you've done something they want. They wanted you to do. And you made everybody happy. It's a beautiful feeling. It's hard. It's it's hard to describe how it is, but it's it's almost like a, a few seconds of euphoria. And that's why now they have this uh, the VAR and all that. I just think it kills the moment because I was watching someone the other day who scored a goal. And they're waiting and waiting and waiting and oh yeah okay, there's a goal now. Like I just think it just kills that. That's yeah. the second of bang. You've scored the goal. You're one with the crowd. Even if you go to the crowd, all of a sudden it's a beautiful feeling. If you've got to wait and wait, and then oh yeah, you can have the goal now. I just think it just kills the moment. So I'll tell you a few stats about Gary Thompson. Scored 124 goals in your football playing career. Country City. Yeah. You scored 49 goals. 158 appearances. And for West Bromwich Albion, he was Player of the Year in the 1984-85 season. And you scored 19 goals at Aston Villa. Yeah. Pretty good stats. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, a, I, I was a big target man, as it were, centre-forward type. But I, I, before I broke my leg, I was very, very quick. After I broke my leg, I was reasonably quick. But, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to score goals. They've always got me in, to get in areas where I could score goals. Towards the end of my career, obviously, the goal tally drives up a bit. But I did get more uh, assists. I was more creative, as it were, like joining in. I, I wanted to be more as a team player because goal scorers just think about themselves. They just want to score goals. They ain't Bob. If they lose 5-1, but they get the one, I've seen strikers sit there and just be delighted because they got the one. And for me, it was all about the team, the team benefit. Dave Section used to say to me, like, you know, the, 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 the individuals can only get stronger if the team is united. And the team has to be united for the individual to show what he can do. And so it always stuck with me. And Dave, I was 21 when Dave came to Coventry. And he was such a wise, intelligent man and a very, very good football coach. And so I just learned an awful lot off, off him. I, I, obviously, I, I scored goals, but I, I made, more so than the goals, I made loads of friends in my team, as it were. Like, so when we were in a team, that feeling of playing with your teammates after you and you've won a game, it's been a battle, you've gone away from home, you've got the result. You can't buy that feeling and like you say, if you score a goal as well. That feeling, the camaraderie of, of the, the fifteen of you together or whatever it is, you can't buy that. It's a beautiful feeling. What was your reminiscence for the first day you started for Aston Villa? What are your memories from that day? Uh Aston Villa tried to sign me twice before and each time it, it could didn't work out. Um but the the last the second time they tried to sign me, uh, I was leaving West Brom. West Brom, I'd gone. I'd got. It's a long story, but I went to Servette Geneva for a conversation with uh, with, the, with the club while I was away. Albion signed two players off the back of the money they were going to get for me. The deal then fell through because the Albion chairman found out he found out something else about the the club it's in Geneva. So he's asked for more money. The deal has changed. I've come back, but now I'm not surplus. But uh, we've got Crooks and Variety and myself. Someone's got to be sold. They've just bought them two in, so it's got to be me. So, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I ended up uh, having to having to leave and go to Sheffield Wednesday. But my my memories of that time at the Albion, my time at Coventry, of scoring goals and, and being involved with um, some great, great mates yeah. was fantastic. But actually, I always wanted to play for Villa. So I get the chance to play for Aston Villa. I'm a, my last game for Sheffield Wednesday. It's the last game of the season. Ron Wiley, yet again, 
his assistant manager Aston Villa, Graham Turner's the manager. Game finishes, the players all go to the crowd and clap the crowd and that. And Ron Wiley's just waiting at the bottom of the dugout, at the tunnel, should I say. And he goes, hey, Bomber, come out. So I walk over to him and he's, uh, I says, what's up? He says, will you come to Villa? And I went, like a shot. And he said, right, we'll, we'll get something sorted. Now, people say that to people all the time. Mm -hmm. So I just took it with a pinch of salt. Howard Wilkinson is at the top of the dugout. He clocks what's happening and loads of expletives, but basically get yourself in this dressing room. I got in the dressing room and he gave me a, a rollicking for daring to talk to the opposition. I didn't think anything else about it. Mm -hmm. That summer, uh, Howard Wilkinson's in Mexico because England play in Mexico in the World Cup. They went Maradona scores the goal with his hand and also... Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and the phone rings. I'm back home in Sheffield, right? The phone rings. And it's Howard Wilkinson. So, uh, hello, Gaffer. What's up? And he says, oh, Aston Villa coming with an offer. And like, uh, even though I was a Villa fan and I would have jumped at it, I mean, the year at Sheffield Wednesday hadn't gone as well goal scoring wise as I wanted it to. So I was prepared. I wanted another year to prove I could uh, I could do it. I mean, we ended up third in the league, so we would have been in Europe that year next the next season, and also ended up getting the FA Cup semi final. I think we were in the the League Cup quarter-final. We had a great season, as it were, but just we didn't quite make it. And I knew I could score more goals with Sheffield Wednesday. And like he said, uh, Aston Villa come in with an offer. And Howard said, you can go, you can stay. It's up to you. That's it. Now, if Howard goes, listen, cut, son, you ain't scored enough goals this year, but we can get more goals from you. We've got Brian Marwood on one side, Mel Sterling throwing balls into the box. We've got Nigel Worthington. We've got service here. Because Lee Chapman was the centre-forward, and I played... Mm -hmm wide off the centre forward anyone see me play that in my game but uh, that's how it was so I'm thinking like give me the chance to do it and he just said he can go he can stay and I thought well if the gaffer he's not particularly bothered either way I'm going to Villa so I went to Villa had a chat with Doug Doug said it was the easiest deal he ever did because he offered me the equivalent of 38 quid or 38 and a half quid and a, a, a company car so I signed for Villa and then uh it was it was a beautiful moment for me, Dad. I mean, it's unforgettable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was made up, and I was so excited, and I was so nervous. My first day of preseason, I met I, I knew Gary Shaw from the under twenty ones anyway, but to meet some of the players there, and by then, even though I was a fan, I hadn't took too much notice of Aston Villa's results or what had been going on. Mm -hmm. They had got rid of the team that won the the the, the European Cup, the league, and the Super Cup, and they basically got a bunch of kids, and like. Um, they bought myself, Martin Keown and Neil Cooper, and we were going to be the new spine of the side. So we've gone in there, and I remember um, after the first week's training, uh, every two weeks I'd go to my mum and dad's for dinner with my lad and my missus. Went to dinner, and my old man's like, what's he like then? Go on, give me all the gin and that. And I just went, well, it's not quite how you think. I've just come from Sheffield Wednesday, which is a very, very organised football club in every aspect. And I've gone to Aston Villa, which was basically, it was very, very off the cuff. And I, I just thought, well, it'll get better once I get games under my belt. So I was trying to tell my old man, he wasn't having it. He was saying, get you ready in the game. Uh, yeah. You're next, score goals and all that. Anyway, we start the season. It doesn't, we don't start it particularly well. And then uh, I think I scored my first goal against Wimbledon in my third game. But there's some, the feeling is there's, there's something not quite right. There's no real togetherness in the squad. Um, we end up losing quite a few games. Graham Turner gets the sack. Billy McNeil comes in. Billy McNeil. I went on record at one time saying I thought he was a, a bad manager. But when I thought about it after Billy McNeil got the sack from Man City and walked straight into the Aston Villa job, this is a kid, kid I'll say. This, is, this man won the European Cup with, Celt with Celtic, played for his country a load of times. This man knew the game. And he, I think he was shell-shocked. By the time he came to Villa, 
he, he was a shell of a man and it, it, did, it almost broke him getting sacked and then coming to Villa, getting sacked from Villa and obviously then Billy I, I've The more I thought about it, the more I probably judged him too harshly. And um, we never did our, the business we were supposed to do. I ended up getting a, another career-ending injury um, and uh, we got relegated. So my first season was as bad as you could have a season. If you say like a, a fan of playing. It was a hard season. Well. Yeah, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a horrendous season. And my old man worked at British Leyland, at Longbridge, and you can imagine the abuse he was getting. And so you can imagine the abuse he would send, send to me. Um, when I to, went to Villa Park, we got we got we slagged off, as you would do. Gary Shaw, fair play to him. After every away game, he made sure we always went into the pub by the ground. So we went into the pub because there's fans in there. And you take a bit of stick to start with, but you end up chatting about football and that. And they probably realised that we weren't complete asses as they probably thought we were when they watched this play. Um, Graham, Turner, Graham Taylor walks into the club. I've I got an injury which keeps me out for, I think, nearly about 10, 11 months, but they don't know what it is. Graham Taylor walks in into the building. A load, load of players go. He brings in a load of honest, hard-working players. And um, he also brings in a guy called Jim Walker. Jim Walker's yeah. a physio. Jim Walker essentially saves my career because he he works out. He, I kept getting fit and breaking down. Villa had started this season in the, what is now the Championship. They're drawing, losing, losing, losing. They, they can't get a run going. I'm watching the games and it all comes to a head. Uh, Villa play Blues at Villa Park. It's my first derby as a Villa player. And me and Gary Shaw, we do, you know, you get your preparation right. We went for it. We did our training in the morning. Went for a bit of lunch and a few beers at TGI's. Got ourselves into the mood. Got ourselves ready for the big game. Mm -hmm. Sat ready for the game. And then we got beat by Blues at Villa Park. And it was as, as it devastating. Oh, and like they clocked Shorey as well. We, sit, we were sitting in one of the boxes. And Shorey's obviously good looking, blonde, blue eyed and that. They look up and they clock in the Blues fans because they're just below us. And they start ch chanting and shouting things at him. And I just melt into the background like Shorey gets hammered. The two of us who who liked to go out and socialise. We both went home that night. We just devastated. And I, I was like, this, this is horrendous. And in the end, the Jim, Jim Walker took me to a guy called Paddy Armour. He managed to work out what my problem was. They got me fit. Took me eight weeks. And the annoying thing was, I'd been out for the best part of eight eight months. And once they worked out the problem, eight weeks later, I'm back training, I'm back playing. And um, Graham Taylor, fair play to him, he puts me straight in the team. I play... Uh, we play um, Bradford in the Zenith Data Cup or something. It's my first game and we get beat 5-0. I play 60 minutes. Graham says to me, that's brilliant. He says, I'm really, really happy with your, your work. And that. he says, um, get ready. We're coming in the morning. So I think I'm going in for a sauna and a, and a bath and a stretch and all that. He gets me and he takes me to Aston Park over the road. He runs me because Graham Taylor could run. We ran every inch of Aston Park. I think Graham I'm, Taylor was a real character. Oh, yeah. Strong, strong man. But... Uh, he got the club, the players in that he wanted, that he thought could do the job. Not the most gifted players, not the best players, but honest, hardworking players. We had the likes of that McAnally who came in, who was a bit of stardust. And Mark Walters left and got to Glasgow Rangers. Was it Alan McAnally uh, like? Brilliant. Alan McAnally came into the club and Alan McAnally is, um, he was brought to replace me. If I'd have been fit when Graham walked into the club, Graham would have sold me. Graham couldn't sell me because I was injured. So I've got to get me, he's got to get me fit to sell me. Macca comes in, Macca's there for two weeks and gets injured. Me and Alan McAnally um, do exercises together, stretching together. We work together for the best part of two months and we become best mates. And Alan McAnally is still now probably my best mate in football. So uh, it 
that bugs Graham to death because he's brought Macca to replace me and the two of us are stick as thieves. Next thing I'll get back in the team, Macca gets back in the team, start scoring a few goals, we end up getting promotion. I'm almost saying that we should have got promotion before we had the nil-nil draw at Swindon, but we got promotion. And from then, we're off and running. We're back into the Premier League. I don't realise at the time, Graham's already, Graham Taylor is a very, very intelligent man. He's looked at me playing and uh, he, ended up, he messed me about for a good bit and then I got sold to Watford. We never spoke for, no, tell her, I went from Watford to Crystal Palace. I scored on my debut against Crystal Palace, against Aston Villa and half cost him. Because uh, I think Cascarino and them were playing up front and uh, they looked like they could win the title or get close to the title. They ended up um, coming third or whatever. And uh, me and Graham, that's the last time we spoke for about 10 years. We never made our peace. I couldn't understand why he, he'd done what he'd done. And uh, I walked into a, uh, Edge Bass and Cricket Ground one day, into the box, and my mate who had the box went, oh, your mate's here. I went, who's that? He went, Graham Taylor. And I went, see you later. And he went, no, no, come have a chat. So we sat down, I've had a glass of wine, as you do. My nephew's with me, and we're having a glass of wine, a beer and that. And bit by bit, I get closer to him. And in the end, you have, those blokes, you have it out, don't you? Now then. How about when you kicked me out of Villa and the way you treated me and all that? And he he said, basically, what Graham said was, I, I essentially was a Premier League, say, sorry, Premier League and Championship. I was essentially a Premier League striker. I got me injury. I became a Championship striker. Villa got promoted to the Premier League. I was no good to him because I would sit on the bench and play the odd few games here and there. And he knew my nature. I wouldn't accept that. So he said he thought it was best to get me out of the club because he thought I would be uh, a pest. And I, uh, yeah. I, 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 at the time when he said it, I disputed it. I'm like, I'm not having that. I, I love Aston Villa. Why would I cause trouble now? But the more I think about it, because you walk away and you think about things, and I think, yeah, he might have had a point. I, I don't. I, I wouldn't have been disruptive, but uh, I probably wouldn't have been happy to just sit on the bench week in, week out. So Graham, he was right. We made our peace, and after that, until he passed, we was we was okay. And going back to the, when you were younger. Who's your football yeah. idol growing up? Brian Little. For us growing up as kids, like uh, Chico Hamilton was the man and then Brian Little got in the team and Brian Little was the man. Everyone wanted to be Brian Little because he had silky feet, some score goals, he was quick, could play up front. Can you hear me all right still, yeah? I think I've lost him, I think. Don't matter. What do I do? What do I do? Don't know. Hello, Gary. All right, Gary. Hello. Yes, well, I lost Sorry, you there. Yeah, yeah, you just disappeared. Like, there's me waxing that Brian Little. It all went horribly wrong. But uh, yeah, right. Brian Little for us, grubbing up was the man. And then, uh, then a centre forward walked into this football club. And that, let's be fair, Brian Little, Andy Lockett, before Brian Little, everybody loved Andy Lockett because he was powerful, scored goals and that. Uh, Keith Leonard, who got a terrible, terrible injury, he would have been the next one on, on the conveyor belt. Brian Little was the man. We all loved Brian Little. And then a centre forward walked in from Scotland. And I, I said this to his son. The 15 or 18 months he played for Aston Villa was the best centre forward displays I've ever seen consistently to score goals, to cause problems, to be a handful, to blend the ball back into play. He was my blueprint, and that was Andy Gray. Um, his first year, first time at Villa, second time round, I played with him, and he was playing off one leg. He weren't the same. But when Andy Gray was first at Villa, 
that spell was as magnificent a centre-forward display that you saw week in, week out. The kid was absolutely magnificent. And Brian Little and John Dean played alongside Andy. And uh, that that was as good as good a centre-forward display as I've ever seen. It's a great so, partnership. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, Andy became... Brian Little was always the man. He was always my, my main hero. But Andy Gray after that was very, very close. Andy Gray was a very intelligent footballer. Yeah, yeah. Because he wasn't um Andy was about five nine, five ten maximum. And when you when you stand next to him and talk to him, he wasn't that big or that powerful, but he could propel his body. He had a great leap, he timed the game, he timed attacking the ball well. Uh he come across centre halves and, and one headers. He worked very, very hard, had a great strike on him. He knew intelligent, he knew where to go, he knew the runs to make, and like he he, he just got it. He got he got football. And uh, as I say, he was a massive hero of mine. Then I met him and like uh, I was just in awe of him because he was brilliant. Villa got relegated that year. Andy got, I think he moved on to um, West Brom. But uh, Andy Gray, that spell, that goal scoring spell and centre forward black spell was as good as I've ever seen. Andy Gray played a lot for a lot of Midlands teams. Yeah, yeah. Went to Wolves for a ridiculous amount of money. But to be fair, Ron Saunders as a manager... He had he had to get rid of Andy Gray and John Deere because he wanted a hard-working, honest side with Shaw, Morley and uh, Cowens to give the little bit of stardust, to do the little the, the, the skillful or creative bits. But they had some hard-working players. Dennis Mortimer at Coventry, very creative player, covered ground for fun. He was like long-eared. And at Coventry, we, we always looked at Dennis as brilliant. And I was only a schoolboy at the yeah. time, Dennis for Aston Villa. By the time I see Dennis playing for Aston Villa, covering ground, breaking play up him and Des Bremner getting forward he changed his game but he became an even better player because of it what's all your memories from the 1987-88 promotion season uh like I say I, I wasn't in the team to start with um I was injured I got myself fit uh, but the, the abiding memory is all them players you Kevin Gages you, you took the two Andy Gray Stuart Gray um the black Andy Gray, should I say? So there's Stuart Gray, uh, Kevin Gage. I'm just trying to think. Like Mark Lillis, sure he was in and around the squad as well. Big Macca, um, Steve Sims, Alan Evans, who's a proper proper warrior. Um, we had a t- Nigel Spink and, and Kevin Paul. We had a team yeah. that togetherness. We went everywhere together. We drank together. We we played up together. Graham Taylor made us stay in a hotel the night before because when he came in, he said this club's fragmented. The fans hate you. Um, you don't even seem to like each other. You don't even train well together. You made us eat together all the time. We stayed in hotels. So we were playing at Villa Park on the Friday afternoon. We'd book into a hotel. We'd be in the hotel Friday, play Saturday, and then like you could leave the hotel Saturday night and go off and do whatever. But he wanted us together at all times because he felt that's the best way to get to togetherness. He made us train at Villa Park. So in that respect, we got used to playing at the ground where generally the fans hated us and we had to win them, win them back. And the only way you win them back is by winning games and showing endeavour, which is what we did. So my memories are all good. I mean, I remember we went out. We, if we went out with Birchie and all them, we all went out together. It was a group thing. Yeah. And that's why I find the best teams. They got they got a togetherness and a belief. And a, a, they just want to hang with each other. And even now, when I bump into like Mark Lillis down at Villa Park or Kevin Gage and that, like, we, we just love each other because we went through something special. We got relegated. And uh, for the likes of myself, it's a horrendous time. But if you flipped it a year later, we get promoted. And regardless of what happened with myself and Graham Taylor, I'm a player that played at the club I support, the club I love, and I actually helped get them promoted. 
obviously I probably helped him get relegated, but helped get promoted. And so I'm delighted with that. And um, some of my memories, they're all good. They're all, they're great. We went off, off to Mag uh, Marbella uh, as soon as the season ended. We went for a week and um, we just drank and reminisced and had a great time. We're like, we're like brothers. We, we're all so very, good. very tight now. But because the, what we shared, that experience we shared of getting Villa promoted, you can't you can't buy that. What what that we got is very special. Well, were you contributed to getting Villa to the top flight? Yeah, yeah. But we've all we've all played our bit. We've we stepped stones yeah. on the way. Yeah, yeah. And like, we're, we're just grateful to be part of that. Some players moved, stayed, and played a bit longer. But uh, if that was the spell, if someone said to me, "Listen, this is all that the only spell you're going to get. You're going to get two and a half years. First year's going to be horrendous. Second is going to be really good. The, the the half a year there's a bit falling out." I'd still take it tomorrow because I got a chance to play for the club I support. I got a chance to wear the claret and blue. I got a chance to score at Villa Park. I, got, I mean, I scored at Villa Park anyway for Coventry and whatever and, and the Albion, but got a chance to play to score for Aston Villa. I, I, I love it. And even now when I go down the ground, it still gives me a buzz to see the pitch and all that. It's, so, it's nice. I'll just give a drink, but... Yeah, I think I might have one as well. Was it your dream to play for Aston Villa? Yeah. Yeah. When, when you were a kid, like I say, once um, the, the game against Santos, I, I wanted to be at that club. I wanted to play for Aston Villa. I wanted to score at the... At the um, I want to score Aston Villa. I want to score at the whole end. I, I just... I want to be part of it. And uh, I spent half my career trying to get to be part of it. When I first got to be part of it, it wasn't too good. Second bit was very, very good. So, yeah, I achieved my dream. And uh, not many people in life can say they, they did that. We all, we all start out with ambitions and plans and whatever. And not many of us actually get a chance to do that. And in the great scheme of things in life in general, it's not the greatest ambition in the world. But as a young kid, that's what I wanted to do. And I got a chance to do it. Put your boyhood club. Yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, and most people, you get a chance to play for your boyhood club, you, you ain't going to turn it down. Nowadays, there's so much money in it, um, players might be tempted to not do do that. But for me, it was never never a debate. Doug, like I said, Doug said it was the easiest deal he ever did. Um, and I, it, it, it was never, obviously, we all like money, we want money, but it was never about money. I got a chance to achieve my dream. And I know how proud it would have made me old man, or it did make me old man. So I wanted to do that. And uh, I've got a chance to do it. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Fair play to you. But what are your thoughts on Unai Emery? Unrealistically, what do you think we can achieve this season? I think Unai Emery is an absolutely fantastic manager. Obviously, watching last night, uh, he's admitted he made a tactical error. Um, but at the end of the day, we have come. If you imagine where we were this time last year, we're talking about relegation. All of a sudden, we're playing in the Conference League and that, and we're making mistakes in the Conference League, and we're getting beaten in the Conference League. When you think, this time last year, if someone said, listen, you might play in the Conference League, they'd have been like, yeah, all right. He's a fellow. He knows his job. He knows what he wants to do. He's very, very good coaching the players. He's developing players as well at Aston Villa. The player, Moreno and John Duran, the only two that came in initially, we finished the season with a fantastic run. Yeah. I think only Man City had a better run than us. We started the season. We brought some new players in. Some of the new players are having to adapt and struggling to adapt to it. But you can see what he's trying to do. You can see the ability we've got. Pau Torres, for me, fantastic footballer with the ball. Not particularly comfortable with the physicality yet. 
but he will he will get there. It's a bit he's like made, Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's passed more ball, more forward balls into the into the f- f- final third than any player in the Premier League. That tells you we're a forward thinking team. We want to break forward. We don't. We look like we go square and back a lot, but we're always probing. We make moving the ball, moving it to left and right into midfield, come back out, go to the other side to find that gap to hurt the seams. The only thing that worries me about you know is the high line we play sometimes, which. Which can cost us. A we new, get new caught customer. out sometimes with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And every now and again, I think if he, he wants to keep playing that way, every now and again we will get battered for five. But nine times out of ten or eight times out of ten, we'll get decent results. And over a season, you'd, you'd take that all day. I mean, we played Brighton the end of last season, and we had to win the game to get into the, the Conference League. Mm-hmm. And I think it was uh, Dennis and Dav twice, and uh, Ferguson once. They got three clean through one on one. And never scored. And I'm watching this and I'm saying our line is too high. We can't keep doing that. But it's fair to realize they've kept doing it, it kept working. Toro Ming's got injured and he's the organizer. Without him, we do seem to struggle. We, we miss a bit. his leadership. Yeah, yeah. But it's time for the others to step up. But generally, you can see what the manager wants to do. We've brought in some very, very good footballers as well. The thing, the thing's looking good. I mean, we lost last night and he said it was a tactical error. I thought we made too many changes. I think the likes of Longley and all them shouldn't. They should, that wasn't the game for them. Maybe against um, we'll be playing Everton next week in the, the cup. Yeah. Maybe that was the game to bring, bring him in. But you know, he, he, that's why he gets paid the big bucks. He's made the decision, didn't really work out. But we've got five other opportunities to resurrect this, to get this right. And I think we'll do it. I think this fella knows his stuff. Very, very good. I can't speak highly he, enough. He, of he's it. a genius. Yeah, because everyone's saying, "Oh, Villa are favourites <clears throat> to, to win the cup and all that." Like, and I kept saying, "Listen." We were 90 seconds away from beating Stevenage. And all of a sudden, 90 seconds later, we're 2-1 down and we're out of the cup. So never get carried away with it. Do your job. Do the bits. See the game in front of you. See that one out and build. Eventually, if we get towards Athens, brilliant. But regardless, we will go deep in the competition. This fellow knows his stuff. I can't speak highly enough of him. He knows his stuff. He knows what he wants to do. And he's got us playing. We play football now. We scored a goal the other day. I think they had 19 passes with Burnley. 19 passes. Yeah. So... And that tells me, Stephen Gerrard, absolutely wonderful footballer. As a manager, he ain't ready yet. We brought him in on his name. We've actually brought in a coach manager now who can do the job. Unai Emery, and with Monchi um, looking to sign players, Unai Emery is a gem. And we've managed to nick something that people were taking a mickey of, the spell he had at Arsenal. His spell at Arsenal, before it all went wrong, was as good as anyone in the Premier League. All of a sudden, he had the, the, the last few months, he didn't go too well. And things turned on him and people were on about the way he spoke and the fact that he couldn't speak proper English and all that. He coaches, he coaches football. And at the end of the day, he's gone away, he's learnt the language, he's come back, he knows his stuff. I'll back him to the hill. God, I did not expect us to finish seventh last season. No. I, 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 the way we were going, well, I, I was hoping, Yeah, exactly. I was happy with 10th. I thought after playing his first game where we could have gone into the bottom three, you're sitting there, you're thinking, well, if we can finish 10th, we'd be happy with that. And like we've ended up having to beat Brighton to get into the Conference League. We never imagined that. And you're thinking, that would be brilliant. And that was brilliant. We had a great celebration. It was only then I realised we had to play a qualifier to get into the, the league properly. But we played Hibs. We smashed him. And like we yeah. moved on. We, we we got five games to get this right. And I I have, I would put my money on Uno getting the thing right. Is we it five games in the group stage? What's that? To the five games in the group stage. Well, there's six, but uh, obviously we, we lost last night, so we got five left, but we got five five to do. But we'll, what we'll be, is, we'll be all right. What is your verdict for last night? 
uh, I just thought we didn't pass the ball well enough. We didn't keep the ball well enough. Our two full-backs were absolutely were very, very poor on the day. I thought Chambers struggled massively. Luca Dean, defensively, was caught out. Obviously, he got his goal, and he's great going forward. But sometimes, when the ball's on the other foot, he has to tuck himself around a little bit. I actually thought at half-time, he was going to move uh, Conzer out to full-back and put Chambers in centre-half if you weren't going to make any changes. Because at centre-half, Chambers ain't going to get exploited for pace too much. But uh, him and Longley, maybe that was a little bit soft as well. But they, yeah, they deserved it. They, they, they were organised and they were they they wanted to get the ball into areas to hurt us, and they did. I thought John Duran took his goal very very well. I think uh, Zaniolo looks a player. He drifted out of it a little bit. A bit worried that John McGinn sort of didn't figure last night. But uh, on the balance, it was a bad day at the office. Generally, we 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 yeah. set up the wrong. I thought the back four wasn't the right choice. I don't think we, it was the way we set up was right. But how many times has he made a mistake, or how many times have we got beaten and, look, and come away like this and thinking, oh, that ain't too good. They ain't too, they're too many times. And that's, that's control the, problem, the right? game better. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's what we normally do. We control the game. And I thought with the fans, the way they were, we were going to take this thing out of the game, keep the ball, move it, wear them, wear them out, because they're an oldish side. And then we would strike, we'd get our goals and all that. But, uh, they scored, obviously we score, then they score, then we have to score, and then they get again, and we cannot get back. We throw the big guns on, we can't get back. But I just think it's a lesson learned. And, and every every defeat, you should learn something from it and move on. Use this as good experience. Yeah. We've got a massive game against Chelsea now, the weekend, who ain't the best team in the world. They've got some very, very good players, but no real organisation at the minute. Because defensively, so, we just wasn't good enough. Yeah, yeah. And that's it starts with the back four. We didn't have no protection with the the two um, the two central the two midfield players in front of the back four. There was no real protection, but we couldn't keep the ball. So we keep giving the ball away. They keep hurting us out wide as well. The game was always a recipe for disaster. But these things happen. So what you got to do is just move on from it. Move on. Learn your lesson. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll be okay. What do you expect from Chelsea on Sunday? Uh, a very good, a very good footballing side. Some very, very good players, but not a team yet, and they haven't got a, uh, a focal point. So they could talk about Unkuku coming back, but even when he comes back, he's not a target man. He's not a pro out and out striker. Nicholas Jackson's a very, very good player. They, they've got good players, but they've got no real goals in at the minute. And I say this, I'm hoping that they don't beat us. They somehow start scoring goals. They've got good players in there, but at the minute it, it's not a team. And I would fancy us to get something there. I, I fancy us to win the game, to be honest. Because Chelsea I mean, don't really worry now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chelsea, I've watched Chelsea play a load of times this season on TV and whatever. They have no goal threat at the minute. And the chance, when you haven't got a goal threat, there's always a chance you give away a goal, you know the game's up. I think they've got good footballers, but they're not in any shape to cause teams problems at the minute. It will take time. And so um, I fancy us to get a result. Do we Pochettino... It's a transition, Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to transition. People, because Chelsea spent a billion pounds, people are like, well, they're going to be better than that. No, it takes as long as it takes. Yeah. Pochettino needs time to. You can't wave the magic wand. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because they, you spend money, people think it's going to just work out straight away. We talk about human beings here. We're talking about getting them to gel and mix together and play together. It takes time. And it doesn't matter how much money you spend at it. Unless you get the right blend, you, well, you've got to work to get the right blend. Pochettino's working at the minute to get the right blend. And so hopefully, hopefully he gets the right blend about Christmas time after we've battered them. Jenkins, have you seen the Bournemouth guy they played? Yeah, yeah. I watched that game as well, yeah. They're like quite I say, poor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
individually very, very good players, but they've got no structure as a team. They've got no discipline in staying in that structure. And so you're looking at 11 very good footballing players that don't seem to gel together. A decent organised team like Bournemouth will cause them problems. We are a decent organised team. If we turn up on the day, we'll give them a very good game. Oh, I'll go on to the next question now. Uh, did you enjoy your managerial career? Yeah, I, I saw myself more as a coach because um, I used to join in the training, but I used, to, I used to demonstrate. So I enjoyed the coaching aspect of it. When Ian Holloway left and I was caretaker manager and we were just holding the, holding the, the ship, Jerry Francis came in as manager. Jerry then left a few months later and I ended up being caretaker manager, but ended up getting the job. I didn't really want the job. I wanted to coach, but I ended up coaching. I ended up managing. I did. I enjoyed the tactical side of it, but uh, to be honest, I saw myself as a. Coach. I never really saw myself as a manager. I saw myself more as a coach. But I enjoyed every aspect, apart from dealing with the directors after a game and all that. I didn't really enjoy that bit because that everybody knows better than you, don't they? And like, yeah. I'm like, why don't you manage it then? <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you think you're that good, you manage it. But yeah, apart from, I mean, like I say, that it was an experience. And I would, unless I had the experience, I wouldn't know. But uh, I had experience, and it it was okay. But if I had a choice of managing or coaching, I'd yeah. coach all day. Go always remember Ian Holloway. Yeah, managing Blackpool. Yeah, yeah. Ollie was at with Bristol Rovers with us, and uh, he was a brilliant manager. Very odd ball at times, but he was very organised. Knew what he wanted to do. Wanted to play football. Always wanted players to express themselves. But he's a bit, he's a bit odd at times. And players sometimes didn't know how to handle him. But he had a, he managed a load of clubs. He left Rovers, went to Blackpool, uh, he went to QPR. He's, he's had about 15 football clubs. So uh, he's a good he's career. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he, as a player, I played with him at QPR, so I know him really well. But he's a, he's a lovely fella. And as a, as a manager, he's very, very he's very, very good. With the, if he had the right people with him, we had myself and Gary Penrose, then it, it works because we know each other. We know what each other's strengths are and he got the best out of all of us and we got the best out of him. So if you could go, Ria, can you spread the word about my podcast? Yep, yep. I mean, uh, if you, you... You contact me on uh, on Twitter and that, yeah? Yes, yeah, yeah. You, you text me on Twitter. I'll, I'll just re, retweet it and all that. And if you want me to do anything and, and spread the word or mention anything or do do anything, give me a shout because I'm only, I'm only a text away, as they say. I really appreciate that. Not a problem, not a problem. So I, I didn't know about this. I've heard of mus- district, muscular dystrophy before, but not this, not Duchenne. I didn't know about this until I just heard you say it. And like, uh, it was just, it, it's just a shock to me. But yes, anything you need, give me a shout. Thank you. Not a problem. Uh, what's your score prediction for Sunday? I think we'll beat Chelsea 2-1. Yeah, well, I've actually done that as well. I went 2-1 as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, I'll go for 3-1. Because they'll come at us in the last few minutes and then we'll catch them on the counter and we'll get the third goal. I'll go 3-1. You have 2-1. That's, that's a good way to bounce back. That's what we got to. Good teams bounce back. Good teams don't get beat, 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 beat. Good teams find a way to get a reaction. And I think suddenly we'll get one. I'm going to the last question now, Gary. Yeah. What inspired you to write your autobiography? Um, Bill Howell, to be fair. He... Uh, He's a journalist. We go and watch football together. I'd always sit and have an opinion on, on positions and this and that. And Bill went to me, you were... The first he said, oh, you ever done any commentating? No. And then he said, you've got so many stories. Why don't you, why don't you um, do a book? Not interested. 
and I, as I said, who's going to who's going to be interested in the warblings of an older gentleman? But uh, he kept at me, and uh, Stuart Curtis, who I knew from the Albion, he, he's got a book publishing company. He kept at me as well, and in the end, they 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 bribed me with beer. They got me drunk one night. I had a couple of beers and persuaded me to start. Gave me a dictaphone. I started telling stories. Gave Bill the, the dictaphone. He wrote them down. He had to do all the research to make sure my stories are true. And that they, they, they balance, they balance, tally up. But uh, yeah, they tallied up. And halfway through, I really got the bug for it. When the book came out, I was I was really proud. The, the thing that, that swayed it was my boy, because I told my, my son, oh, Bill's on about me writing a book, and I'm really interested. And as he said, like, listen, you've got loads of stories, but what happens when you get older and all that, and the grandkids, or his kids, his children, my grandchildren, when they want to know what, what granddad did and all that, he said, well, why don't you put something down? So that's how I started, and now I'm, I'm quite I'm really pleased with it. I mean, loads of people have come back and said they really enjoyed it. They feel it's an honest book. It's funny in parts, but yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And so, can, yeah, can you get an audio book? No, um, someone's asked me about doing that. I haven't done one yet, but uh, I think that might be the next thing. Although I'm too sure people want to listen to my my uh, my draw. I have to get some <laughs> an, actor, an actor to do it. Uh, for those of you who don't know about this book, it's called "Don't Believe a Word." Yeah, it's my homie. Did you release it in lockdown? And after lockdown, we released it ju just after lockdown. And then uh, I, the idea was always for me to do uh, Q&As and meet fans and just have a drink and a giggle and all that, which I've start, I've done quite a few of them. Like I do I do enjoy that as well. But yeah, it, that was the idea. And it seems, it seems to have worked all right. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed meeting fans and chatting with fans. And I did a bit of Villa Park one day. So yeah, it's, it's been a great experience. And uh, like I say, the book came out, all McAnally, Kevin Gage, all them rang me straight away. I'm, don't, don't put me in the book, don't mention my name. But I have no idea why they didn't want me to mention them. But uh, yeah, the book's come out and everyone seems to be happy with the end product. So yeah, it's called Don't Believe a Word. You can get it from Curtis Sports. And who knows, there might even be a bit an audio book eventually. Oh yeah, I'm going to look at some comments. Yeah. There you go, you know. Oh, yeah, we just got one comment. Hey, can I read that out? Oh, just, yeah. Oh, yeah, Adam McGeough. Nice interview, guys, at the villa. Nice one. All right, then, Gary, I'm going to bring this episode to a close. Beautiful. Well, like I say, what I'll do, if you if you tweet me, I should retweet it, and uh, we'll, we'll get the word out there. We'll spread it to more people, and uh, as many villa fans as possible, link into you, and... Uh, Wait for the next podcast. I'll check it out myself as well. Thank you, everyone, for watching. If you enjoyed this podcast, give it a like, share, and please subscribe to my channel. Remember to get your post notifications turned on. Let me know your thoughts in the comment section below. Thank you so much, Gary, for your time. Not a problem. Thoroughly enjoyed it. The last thing that is left to say is up the villa. Up the villa. I like that. Oh.